Welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. Conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Welcome to the Sets of Church Leaders podcast, where we're helping Christian leaders navigate and lead through the cultural issues of our day. My name is Daniel Yang, the director of the Church Multiplication Institute, and today we're talking with Alex Harris. Alex is an attorney and author who, with his twin brother Brett, as teenagers, created TheRevolution.com and wrote the book Do Hard Things, A Teenage Rebellion Against Low Expectations. Uh, Alex is a graduate of Harvard Law School and worked as a law clerk for U.S. Supreme Court Justices Neil Gorsuch and Anthony Kennedy. He was also named to Forbes 30 Under 30 for Law and Policy. And before we talk to Alex, we want to remind you that if you're enjoying our interviews, uh, it would help us if you gave us a review wherever you listen, especially Spotify. Now let's go to Ed Stetzer, Editor-in-Chief of Outreach Magazine and the Dean of Talbot School of Theology. Okay, well, super. We're going to jump right into our conversation, and so thankful to have you, Alex, and to kind of walk through some of this conversation. That's quite an impressive uh, bio leading in. Not not uh, not an underachiever, but I, I would expect you not to be an underachiever because the revolution, because of doing hard things, those are good. But you know, I I reached out to you um, when I I watched the documentary. A lot of people watch Shiny Happy People, and in there you talked about the Joshua generation, but just barely. And I actually want to talk some. You know, because what your perception of the documentary was as well, uh, more positive, more negative, whatever. But let's start with, because I don't think, I don't know that everybody's going to be as familiar with the Joshua generation was, what was your involvement in it? And so let's start by unpacking there. Yeah, thanks so much for for having me, Ed. And I do think the, the Joshua generation idea and story is an important one. It's why I, I originally agreed to be part of the Shiny Happy People documentary. And you know, what that refers to is really a, an idea within the Christian homeschool movement of the 1980s, 1990s, where my parents were really influential pioneers. And the, the concept was, you know, we're, we're, we're like Moses as Christian homeschool parents. We're pulling our kids uh, out of public schools, kind of out of a, a decaying popular culture, and we're going to raise them in the wilderness but then they're going to be like Joshua. They're going to rise up and they're going to take take the land, take America um, back for God by achieving positions of power and influence in, in government and in law, in the media and, and so on. And, you know, part of this is your typical, you know, parents want their kids to succeed and everyone thinks little Jimmy is going to be president someday. Um, but it was a bigger kind of spiritual, religious analogy uh, that was really, you know, pushed by a lot of Christian homeschool leaders that inspired uh, the launch of a lot of institutions, uh, whether that was homeschool uh, speech and debate or political training, uh, both campaigning as well as navigating the political process uh, and institutions like my alma mater, Patrick Henry College, you know, that were designed to be a place for Christian homeschool graduates to be trained and sent out to lead the nation and and shape the culture. And there's, you know, an aspect of that, which, you know, is, is perfectly healthy and good. You know, as Christians, we are called to be salt and light. We are called to seek the welfare of our communities, to be engaged and active in society. And that includes politics. Um, but there was a, I think a deeper part of that, which I think was unhealthy. And, and I, 
bought, you know, completely into that vision growing up where, you know, my, my vision of what it meant to be a faithful Christian was to achieve, you know, earthly power mm-hmm. and, and my vision of what it meant for Christianity to, to be in a healthy place in America was when we have political power and favor and influence. And, and that I think is, you know, at best uh, a distortion uh, and at worst a, a complete um, idol and, and mm-hmm. contrary to the, the true message of what it means to be a faithful Christian. And so um, that movement, that idea uh, has had kind of widespread effects within the Christian homeschool movement. And as I and many other Christian homeschool graduates have you know, continued to be faithfully taught by our pastors, uh, continued to, to read our Bibles, I think we've started to, to question some of those, those ideas and whether or not they're truly uh, aligned with biblical principles. Yeah, and of course, this is um, tangential, you know, the whole conversation around Christian nationalism and more. It's not like a direct line between the two, but certainly there's substantial overlap. But for most people, maybe they're, um, depending upon, you know, like I said, I, I, read, I, I read the Re- revolution. Um, you know, I, I engaged some of the resources over the years as a pastor and a church leader. Um, but for some people, they may be less familiar and maybe shiny, happy people, which I think like broke all kinds of records was their first wow. introduction. And um, yeah, I guess I would say first, there were some things in there that were just, you know, for example, when they called Wheaton College a fundamentalist school, I was kind of like, you know, having served at Wheaton College, I probably wouldn't put that in that category uh, yeah. in any way. But, you know, of course, Gothard was a graduate from there. But what, what, what was your perception or your review, if you will, of the documentary? Because I, it seemed like you were sort of making very clear why you agreed to be in this, which sort of maybe I inferred that in part that meant you weren't pleased with everything. But tell me. Yeah, I, I do. I do give it a, a somewhat mixed review mm-hmm. for for the reasons that you pointed out, which is that, um, you know, to the extent it tried to to tell this larger story or paint with a kind of a broader brush, um, certain Christian institutions or, or, you know, evangelical Christianity as a whole. Um, there were many things that you could point to as sure. unfair, inaccurate. Um, I think the the filmmakers in in the series kind of overstepped uh, in in quite a few places, and and the reason that was disappointing to me, um, you know, one of that one of the reasons was I wanted them to really kind of talk about this Joshua Generation idea right. more than a surface level, right. uh, more than just a scary headline, you know homeschool students are trying to take over government um, to talk about, you know, why is that not biblical? Why is that not a faithful vision for Christian witness and society? Uh, And all of that was left out. So that was one disappointment. The the bigger disappointment, because the bigger focus of of the docu-series was on, you know, Bill Gothard, the type of, um, you know, really um, soul-crushing, non you know anti-gospel type of of rules and and teachings that he kind of layered on onto his followers a lot of that could could just be lost in right. the noise of x y and z mischaracterizations uncharitable sweeping judgments uh, and so a lot of the people who i think could most benefit from taking a close look at this documentary and saying wow how do how do i you know, embrace or support, um, you know, these types of teachings within members of my congregation or, you know, in what ways as Christian leaders uh, have we not kind of confronted 
teaching yeah. in the church, just because th this is someone who's with us on the inerrancy of scripture and they're a conservative Bible preaching pastor. Therefore, you know, we're going to let all these things slide like that type of introspection, which I think is really healthy for, for the church to, to engage in, you know, it's so easy to, to just shut that door entirely when you hear, you know, the first, the second, the third, you know, just kind of unfair characterization of, of Christianity. And so I think that was a, yeah. A failure of the docu series that allowed. I would also say too, having watched it though, yeah, there was a lot of failure. You know, and I guess a lot of it's just not understanding the difference between evangelicals and fundamentals. But there's lots of others. But there was also a lot important in there as well, and you've articulated that yeah. elsewhere as well. Yeah, I was I was you know privileged to get to write a, a review of the series for the Gospel Coalition. Yeah. And 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 kind of try to tease out some of these things yep. to acknowledge, like, yes, it's so easy to say, oh, you know, just another example of, you know, popular culture and the media making fun of Christians and pointing out how weird we can be. Um, and, you know, should we should we just tune it out and say, hey, we've had enough of this. The hits just keep coming and, and we're we're not going to pay attention or, or should we lean in and, and actually say, what can we learn here? And there's, like you said, a whole lot uh, that can be learned. And, and I think you know, the, the series flawed as it may be serves, serves the church for those willing to seriously engage with it and, and consider, you know, what is true, what it does reveal and, and what the implications are, you know, far beyond just, you know, Bill Gothard yeah. and, you know, his institute. Yeah, I did. It was, I think it was interesting that for a lot of people, they didn't know that Bill Gothard was, you know, Wheaton College graduate, how influential I first encountered the Institute for Basic Life Principles. Uh, I don't think I've ever said this publicly. So um, when we were, I was planting a church in Buffalo, New York, and there were some people who'd come to our church, and they said, let's go to the Rochester, uh, like it was like a stadium, and I don't know what stadium it was, but it was a stadium. And we, you know, kind of went through and, and uh, you know, filled out that book, the basic book, and and more. I came back and, and was like, hmm. And, and you used, I could tell, I, could, I could sort of could tell where you were when you referred to the teachings as soul-crushing and anti-gospel. Subtle, you know, subtle four words, but uh, so I sort of know where you are. But um, let's get to that. But let's start by, why do you think so many Christians were attracted to that version of the Christian life? Yeah, it's it's a it's a great question. And, you know, I think I should start by saying I, I grew up with so many families who who were very much involved in IBLP Institute and Basic Life Principles, Gothard's organization, and then specifically his homeschool arm was the Advanced Training Institute, where you kind of dived a lot deeper than just, you know, those original basic seminars. And so many of those families, you know, they, they were families where they were trying to be faithful. They were yeah. trying to follow God. They were trying to do what was best for their, their kids. And, you know, here was this, this man who, um, you know, was a very good communicator, who was a very kind of clear, um, you know, at laying out here, here are these principles that are, are, you know, he said, you know, derive directly from the Bible. Directly from the Bible, yeah. And, you know, there's a, a kernel of truth to the fact that God created the world, um, not just with physical laws, but with moral laws. And, and there's there's something about keeping yourself in line with with biblical principles that can not in er not always, but can you know lead to greater flourishing. And um, and and so he seized on that idea and then kind of, you know, expanded on it to the point where, you know, if you follow these principles, you will, you know, have a good marriage, mm -hmm. you will have 
you know, God following children who are well behaved, you will achieve success in your business and, and your financial um, life. And, and it actually, you know, became, I think, a form of a prosperity gospel, yeah. which, of course, as evangelicals, we associate with, um, you know, very different teachers, you know, not a conservative um, you know, Bible teacher like Bill Gothard, but, but it's, it's the same, it's the same thing, just in a different form. Um, and there's a real deep seated appeal to that type of message because who doesn't want, um, a good marriage and who doesn't want their children to love God and to be, you know, well-behaved and obedient, um, who, who doesn't want to have, you know, this simple, straightforward, if you do this, you will get the thing that you want. Um, I think, at root, we all all would love that. Um, the problem is that it doesn't work like that, and you know those principles quickly became rules uh, that not just you know promised reward if you followed them, but also promised punishment, uh, a lack of protection against the sa- you know Satan's attacks if you didn't follow them, and and just created a, a very rigid, fear based, and extra biblical yeah. uh, form of uh, following God that was you know, which is why I, you described it the way I did. Yeah. And I, again, and part of the challenge, even in this conversation is how much should we talk about Bill Gothard? How much should we talk about shiny, happy people? I, I would really, we're going to link in the show notes, the title, just so you get the idea of the title of, of the article, it's Amazon shiny, happy people has lessons to teach if we're willing to listen. So don't, don't think that Alex is discounting uh, or I am. Uh, I think there's again. I watched the totality of the series with my wife. Discussed it. Um, talked to you know. Talked to some other people about it. But I, I want to kind of lean in on the which I think you hoped that the documentary would and did not, which is to lean in some on the Joshua generation or Generation Joshua. It seems like it's referred to in different places in different uh, order. Um, so so okay. So there was this movement. You're trying to you know you kind of withdrew from society in a sense. Uh, uh, Benedict Option-ish, for those of your listeners, you know, that Roger's book on, and created systems, and then you were going to go back in, so you then you go to Harvard, you're you're an attorney now, um, you, you know, you worked in government and more, so um, this is portrayed very briefly in Shiny Happy People, and nefariously elsewhere, there have been people who have written on this as a, as a nefarious, you know, right-wing kind of religious plot to take over, so what, what, give us more, give us more about what it was. And then I want to ask you, after you explain more what it was, why you've changed your mind. But it's important to note, you've not walked away from evangelicalism. You've not walked away from conservative evangelicalism. Others have, we'll talk about why, but first give us a little more on Joshua generation. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll first address the, the terminology because it is yeah. confusing. And even people who kind of come from the, you know, a similar background will Please. use those interchangeably. Um, the Joshua generation, I think, is is how I refer to it because it it refers to the idea, kind of that biblical analogy. Um, generation Joshua, and this is where it gets confusing, is an actual organization right. that was created by uh, the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, right. Virginia, and and trains uh, young people in political campaigning. And so, obviously, you know, you can see the the it's definitely parallels. related. Yeah, it's definitely related. Um, but the organization is not the movement or the idea Helpful. kind okay. of it's maybe one subpart. Okay. And, and in fact, you know, there are some, you know, great people who are now involved in that organization who, you know, would very much disagree with some of the more, uh, you know, take the country back for God, okay. uh, you know, maybe some distortions of sure. the Christian 
the Christian message. So that's just the, the first part. But to go back to, you know, what the idea is, you know, what that looked like um, within the Christian homeschool movement, you know, if you look back to the you know, 1980s and, and earlier, uh, this was, you know, kind of rising at the same time as kind of the rise of the moral majority, the, the religious right, a lot of conservative political organizations uh, that, that arose at the same time, and a lot of the leaders in the Christian homeschooling movement were, were overlapping within those, those two worlds. And one of the most influential voices in both of those worlds uh, was a kind of a Presbyterian philosopher uh, called uh, R.J. Rushdoony. Rushdoony, sure. Yeah. And he, he was an advocate of what he called Christian reconstructionism, which was, you know, this very, for him, very long-term vision of Christians, uh, building up communities and eventually, you know, seeing, um, you know, a, a millennium of, of Christian reign over the entire world. Before, and, that, and that millennium really matters. The, the word millennium really matters in this, but keep going. Yeah. Um, but, but with that kind of, you know, eschatological vision that he, that he had was this, you know, kind of underlying idea of eventually, you know, Christians will take control right. and, uh, he paired that with a, a strong philosophy of uh, there is no no neutral ideas. Every policy, every idea uh, is is religious, and it's either correct or it's absolutely incorrect. You know, deadly and from 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 the enemy, and and so this kind of mindset um, of kind of a all or nothing, uh, black and white type of um, view of society and politics that ended up being very influential in the the rise of the Christian right. He was also one of the pioneers of, of Christian homeschooling. He saw homeschooling as this key mechanism to, to raise up new generations of young people who would not be indoctrinated by state schools. Um, he, he viewed the education system as kind of the encapsulation of all that was wrong uh, with America. And, and his idea of no neutral ideas, you know, really uh, came to the fore in his discussions of, of government schools and the need to you know, abolish them, to pull kids out, to you know, pursue alternative means of education. And ultimately, he landed on homeschooling as the kind of the key way to do that. So Rush Dooney had all sorts of ideas that I think a lot of people, certainly, you know, your lay Christian homeschooling families, but also Christian homeschooling leaders would have you know, rejected not agreed with, um, but some of his um, kind of more general philosophy infiltrated, seeped through, you know, influenced kind of all of all of those all of those folks. And so the generation Joshua, Joshua generation uh, vision uh, is in many ways kind of an expression of that whole mentality um, of you know withdrawing children from the public school system, training them, you know, to have, you know, a very strong Christian conservative worldview um, and then, you know, training them to ultimately achieve positions of power and influence. So, you know, my twin brother and I, in addition to our nonprofit teen ministry work that we did, you know, we were involved in political campaigning at the, the local state and, and national level uh, throughout our late teen years and early 20s. We went and worked uh, for some Christian reconstructionist 
um, candidates uh, down in Alabama at one point in our late teen years mm-hmm. and and kind of at the time just had no real understanding of you know the dynamics and the ideas behind you know you know the causes that we were promoting I think in many ways you know we just took the view that you know these are Christian uh, Christian men and they you know are trying to to glorify God and you know politics or the law and and so obviously we're on the same team and and this is the right thing to do and I think there was you know some naivete there and just a lack of of perspective and historical perspective but that ultimately led you know me to Patrick Henry College you know to Harvard Law School to clerking for first uh, Justice Gorsuch uh, when he was a judge on the Tenth Circuit here in Denver and then also uh, Justice Anthony Kennedy at the U.S. Supreme Court and and in many ways that was kind of the the culmination you know kind of the dream of the Joshua generation to have you know a Christian homeschool graduate um, kind of hmm. in the room where yeah. you know the, the room where it happens you know, where where you know Justice Anthony Kennedy who was yeah. kind of the key vote on so many important issues to to conservatives and evangelicals you know, was, was making, making decisions, um, on major constitutional questions. Um, and, you know, I'm so grateful for all of the sure. opportunities I had, you know, they, they were amazing opportunities, amazing training. And, and I'm, you know, thankful to the, the men and women who, who opened the doors for me. Um, and yet I think, you know, over time, uh, as I talked about earlier, and I'll, I'll pause so you can follow up as opposed yeah. to just continuing to talk, you know, over <laughs> time, just recognizing, you know, there's there's a, a way in which Christians can so easily lose, uh, you know, get get their eye off the ball when they're so focused on on achieving this type of, of influence or, you know, to be in the room or to uh, achieve power. Um, that's just a, such a dangerous thing. And, and where a movement or where a generation or just where an individual um, kind of is in that space to the point where they lose perspective. Um, that's a very damaging thing to the individual's soul, to the church, to the, our witness as, as believers. Uh, there's a lot of unhealthiness there when our hope is placed in politics or power um, instead of, of where it should be. Okay, so um, so much to unpack there. Because, I mean, first of all, I, I just want to ask you 15 questions about where Gorsuch is on a few things, and you can just explain that to me because um, I, I still got questions. But, um, but so when we look, like what you described, I mean, I, I mean, that could be a Kyperian vision, you know, a view of, you know, engaging in this sphere of engaging in government. I, I want Christians engaged and involved in government. I want Christians clerking for Supreme Court justice. I want Christians, I would love to see an evangelical actually on the Supreme Court. Uh, here we, you know, we maybe one-ish, you know, overlap with the charismatic Catholic movement, but, but you know, I'd love to see, I would, I would think that would be a good thing, not a bad thing to have people of faith in that conversation. So help me clarify, clarify for us, what's the difference between the two? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's a couple of things that I've hinted at here. So I'll, I'll try to, to, Please. to say them maybe more, more clearly. That is and, my job is to ferret out more yeah. information. You know, I, I can be the lawyer in this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. It's your, it's your turn uh, to step up. Um, so I think, you know, I, first of all, you know, I agree that, that there is, can be great benefit in having, you know, faithful Christians uh, in, in these various positions. So the, the concern is not, 
you know, that vision in itself. Um, but there is a, a very important soul forming aspect to um, where our efforts, our focus, our hope is, uh, is placed. So it's one thing to say, hey, all things equal, wouldn't it be great to have Christians in these, these roles? Um, it's another thing to, as I did, uh, form your, your life around trying to maneuver and position yourself to be, to be in that role as if that's the, the height of faithfulness to, to Christ. Um, it's a whole other thing when a generation or a movement or the church in, in the United States uh, begins to see political power, influence, or favor as you know, an expression of, of whether or not they are being faithful Christians. Um, and, and when, you know, when that shift takes place and it's, it's, you know, admittedly sometimes a subtle shift, uh, when that shift takes place, it leads to, um, all sorts of distortions, um, a misplaced hope, um, I think gradually, um, you know, robs us of joy. It causes us to be uh, motivated by fear. It causes us to, to be motivated by a desire to defeat the enemy, um, as opposed to, to love um, our love our neighbor and, and turn the other cheek. And, you know, I think you see some of the expressions of, of a church and a movement within the Christian homeschool movement that over time, even with very good motivations, and I, I will say so many of the you know, men and women that I met and, and knew, like they were pursuing these things out of very good motivations. But, but over time, um, I just saw a, a conflation of faithfulness to Christ with, you know, faithfulness to political allies and, you know, a conflation of biblical principles with uh, maybe Republican Party platform. And, and that is, is dangerous. And I think uh, an inevitable result of a misplaced hope in in politics and in power. Yeah, uh, you know, it's interesting because people who sort of walk through a maybe a I guess generically we might say a legalistic context. I know that's that word has a that's carrying a lot of weight in that sentence, but yep. um, you know, your own your own journey is uh, is one where you're still in a conservative evangelical church, but maybe moved away from some of that you know Joshua generation ideas. Your of course, your brother's Josh Harris. Um, and obviously, he went a different direction. I and I should tell you that I was like, oh gosh, I can't even remember. You know, my um, I was in my basement, and I was found jo a stack of Josh's books. I used to give out uh, was it Humble Orthodoxy, mm -hmm. and uh, and just really just appreciated his spirit and his you know in a world where there are a lot of uh, maybe jerks in that theological space, he just had a different tone and space and 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 a tenor about him. And I remember tweeting something uh just you know and and he actually responded and we had a little conversation direct message and and uh you know because i mean that that was a hard thing for a lot of i mean a lot of people you know it was that kiss dating goodbye stuff and i and i and i that wasn't my world or my time but it was more of that humble orthodoxy space so um so it seems that there's a lot of people who have and you know to the, you you can comment how you want to comment about that journey but it seems that a lot of people like even in that documentary, Shiny Happy People, there were some like people who were kind of refugees from the movement mm -hmm. as as well. So how do you see the end result is as Christians who maybe are raised in this case, is homeschooling going to lead to deconstruction is, or is homeschooling lead to being a Christian lawyer in Denver like you? I mean, so and what's the difference? Well, I mean, I think I think the answer is yes to both. It can it can lead to to 
you know, success stories. And, and I acknowledge that, you know, in many ways, um, I'm a success story through, you know, not, not entirely on my own merit, just through God's kindness and, and, a, and a family and parents who, who invested in me and opened doors for me. Um, and then there's also, you know, those refugees you mentioned, you know, the people who experienced really, you know, horrible um, abuse um, or, or just, you know, some of this kind of very controlling fear-based, mm-hmm. uh, extra biblical legalistic, uh, religion, uh, that, you know, shiny, happy people really shines a spot. Right. And that's, and that's a big part of the story that, that we're sort of talking about some of the, that the things that weren't covered in that, but that's a big part of the story that's, that's there. But so do you now, um, what do you recommend to parents? Should they homeschool their kids? Should they send their kids to public schools? Should they just run, let them run wild in the fields? I mean, what, what, what is, uh, what's a better way? Yeah. I mean, I had a great homeschool experience. Um, my wife and I currently homeschool our, our own daughter and think it can be, you know, a phenomenal option. Uh, unlike, you know, what I would have said maybe 10, 15 years ago, it's not the only option right. for faithful Christian parents. I think the, the, the heart of the Christian homeschool movement for so many parents was this desire to, to really uh, take ownership of the responsibility, the stewardship that God had given them and their children, and to not just farm out education, farm out spiritual formation to youth pastors and to teachers, but to actually take ownership of that themselves. And, and there's something really healthy in that. Yeah. And yet you don't have to homeschool in order to, to be engaged, uh, to take ownership of those things. Uh, so I've been you know thankful in our church to see, you know, many faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, going at it different ways, you know, with a very specific vision of what it means to be faithful, you know, very specific understanding of the pros and cons of different, different approaches. And I think that's just, you know, such a healthy, healthy thing. It's going to vary based on where you live and the school options uh, in your area. It's going to vary based on your family circumstances. It's going to vary based on, especially the, this particular child uh, and student in question. So, you know, for our daughter, it's been a great fit so far, um, but it's not something that we're, you know, think in order to be a faithful Christian, we got to homeschool or all the way through high school, like, like I was, or like my wife was. Um, we see a lot more freedom in, in Christ when it comes to, to those choices. So, um, you know, I think it's probably important that we sort of frame a little bit of that. So let's talk then about engaging our culture today. Uh, and again, the whole Christian nationalism conversation is a little different than the Rush Dooney conversation, is a little different than the Joshua generation conversation. But I think, you know, our audience is pastors and church leaders. I, I encourage them to stand before the people that God has entrusted to them. Uh, to shepherd them in their workplaces, so they might be people of influence. They'd work for the good of their, of their city, their community, and more. Um, so, so what is a biblically faithful path? Since the Joshua generation uh, wasn't as, you know, there, there are parts of it I think you were affirming, but the, but problematic in some areas. So, describe for us what it would look like and how pastors and church leaders can help people get there. One of one of the things I think is so important, and, and this is something one of one of the pastors at our church has has really stressed uh, to to us in recent recent years, is just the the importance of the the discipline of discernment, biblical discernment. Um, I think that's an area where a lot of church members are are lacking, um, and and one of the biggest the biggest ways that that expresses itself 
uh, I think, and this ties into to everything we've been discussing, um, is in you know media consumption, you know whether that's political news, you know talk shows, both TV and radio, uh, social media consumption. Um, I think so much of what has turbocharged, you know, some of the unhealthy aspects of a of a church that's maybe a little bit too enmeshed in and putting too much hope in in political victory or defeat um, has been, you know, the rise of just you know the the constant stream of of voices uh, that are are very partisan, very ideological, and not necessarily uh, prioritizing you know faithful faithful. You know, Christian witness, and so for for our churches and for church members to you know really take a step back. You know, I always go back to to Proverbs where it says, "Those who walk with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm." Um, something my dad in, ingrained in in me and my my siblings growing up um, to think about not just actual human companions, but, but also our media consumption as a companion that is shaping us, that's forming our hearts and our souls. And when it comes to uh, political engagement in particular, uh, what I found is that I need to get out of the bubble. Um, You get out of the the social media bubble, get out of the, you know, the political foxhole uh, that you can quickly find yourself in as soon as you engage where, you know, you're, if you're both taking bullets, you're this guy over here sure seems like you know your best friend um, at the moment, and and then you know before you know it, his cause is your cause, even if that's not really the cause um, you're ultimately called to fight for. And I think that dynamic is is frequently um, you know what happens when people get involved in politics. Um, they start conflating you know whatever political party makes the most sense for them to support. Um, with what it means to be a faithful, you know, Christian in the public square, and that sort of, you know, blind partisanship over time is, is I think, what hurts the church's witness. What causes, you know, so many young people to say, "Hey, wait a second, you know, what I was taught doesn't seem to be what you're what you're doing. Um, you know, what you claim to believe doesn't seem to be what you actually believe in practice." Um, that's certainly an, an oversimplification of, of the, the deconstruction uh, trend, but I, I've heard that just so many times from friends, uh, you know, from others. And, you know, I think, you know, for the church to get back to uh, a more discerning posture um, towards politics, um, but also towards consumption of all of the forms of media that, that really drive our political climate right now, um, you know, we have to lead the charge and, and kind of pulling the plug on that in order to to get, you know, our church members uh, into a more healthy uh, and more biblical and less, you know, reactionary um, frame of frame of mind. So some political discipleship, my my colleague Vince Bakota Wheaton would often talk about. Um, at the same time, I think some people listening right now, I don't know if they would have listened this far, but some people who are listening could be saying, you know, we're, we're in a civilizational crisis. I mean, we're, we're, the barbarians are at the gate. We need Christians to stand up, take a stand. Uh, matter of fact, there, I mean, people are writing a whole book saying exactly what you're saying is giving permission for Christians to vote Democrat, to move away from standing up for life and, um, you know, and, and, you know, biblical morality around sexuality issues and more. Yeah. 
So how would you respond to, I mean, to be honest, that might've been what you were saying a decade or two ago. Yeah. So um, how do you respond to that? It, it's, it's, I, I, first of all, I understand it. Um, I think there, there are so many things when you, when you look out there that, that are, you know, and should be concerning to, to followers of Christ. Uh, and we are called to seek the welfare of our communities uh, and there are ways ways to do that that we can't uh, advocate as 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 followers of Christ. I think the you know the the reason I have a slightly different perspective on it um, is is one because of that question of hope. Um, okay. It's so um, it, it's so easy when we look at all of these trends to to take the posture of. If we lose this battle, if we let these people win, if they get their way, you know, Armageddon, you know, this is spiritual cataclysm. That's that's the message that I received time and time again growing up about all, all sorts of things. Sure. And, you know, so so one of the things is just we've been told that before. And, and so eventually it starts to feel like maybe it's more a political motivation, fundraising, um, you know, strategy or, you know, a way to get more views and clicks and, and likes on social media and, and, you know, whatever form of, of, uh, product someone is, is pushing or selling than, you know, true conviction or true accurate representation of, of reality. Um, but the other thing is just, you know, ultimately, even with these things, you know, our hope, our hope is not in a, in a culture that, you know, celebrates Christian values. Would I prefer to live in a culture that does? Absolutely. Do I think there is a role for Christians to stand boldly uh, in support of what the Bible clearly teaches? Absolutely. But we don't do that with our hope being in stemming the tide and in, in creating a, an environment where you know Christianity is celebrated. Um, that's that's not our hope. Our hope is to be faithful to the truth until Christ returns. And that's, you know, that requires sacrifice, that requires action. That's not a, an abdication, but it's, it's not putting our hope in, in victory over our enemies. And unfortunately, the mentality of kind of victory over our enemies is, is a lot more the, the mentality of our, you know, current political culture, as opposed to a true biblical ethic towards political engagement. So I was, um, the time this recording about a week ago. I was sitting on the floor of the House of Representatives, kind of where the Joint Chiefs sit during the State of the Union speech, and we were just doing a thing there. They won't go necessarily into the details. It was right after a big chaos day. You know, if, you know, hopefully by the time this release, it's actually some of this is now we we actually have a Speaker of the House and things of that sort. But it's a big chaos day, and and I just and we were there for a while, and someone else was talking about something else. And I, I hate to say this because maybe they hopefully won't listen to this. I was just struck by the the fact that, man, I think you put your hope into this into this house and this future of this government. I mean, it's just not going well. And and you know, I, I think you know the, the the Church of Jesus Christ has has persevered for two thousand years. But uh, the reality is, is there are serious questions about the viability of the future way we're going to govern and be in community with one another. And a lot of the people who are some of the worst actors in this current moment are people who identify as evangelical Christians, which is obviously uh, disconcerting at best. 
But at the same time, I was praying while I was maybe should have been more listening. Um, but part of what I was praying is, Lord, let faithful Christians who have been discipled and shaped by the gospel and the scriptures more than than by cable being discipled by their cable news choices and spiritually shaped by their social media. And so I want more, not less, Christians mm-hmm. engaged in the political reality. And I think the last few years have not been a great example of Christians doing well in this. So could you maybe help us to have a positive vision for what that would look like? Um, and, and and maybe not just in politics, not just, you know, running for office or, you know, being a member of the House, but but what would it look like for Christians to to do these things? Because the reality is, I mean, parents are increasingly speaking up about some of the issues in, in public schools, and we can sit back and say, well, I wish they would have articulated this differently, but I'm glad some people are articulating some of these things. Yeah. So, so how do we do it well from somebody who's seen it maybe done badly? You know, just to be you know real, real honest about my own experience and failings, you know, at the time when I was, you know, very much, you know, following the the Joshua Generation blueprint and and trying to, you know, achieve power and, and influence and you know in order to further that mission, um, you know, what I I quickly found is that there was a whole lot of opportunities to to take a stand where taking that stand is actually going to hurt your ability to keep climbing uh, the ladder of, of influence and power, or could compromise your ability to have a voice in the room, you know, where, where it happens. And, and there's this promise in the back of your head that, you know, well, maybe I should say something here, but someday there'll be something even more important. I'll want to be in the room to say that then. And thankfully, you know, my trajectory, you know, changed, but I could easily, you know, have seen myself continuing to tell myself that in perpetuity and to the point where, you know, maybe I got to that bigger moment and, and yet now I had a, a even bigger moment in my head. Um, and there's just so many steps in which, you know, unfortunately, in our current political climate, and in the fact that in order to, you know, achieve success in politics in the United States today, you have to ally with uh, political parties and and political systems and political dynamics that they they do, in fact, push you and, and maybe even force you to compromise. Um, that the people who are willing to do that, and the people who are most successful tend to be the people who at best are compromising and at worst maybe are just putting on a, you know, playing lip service or claiming um, an allegiance that they don't actually have. Um, so that's, you know, that's maybe more of a, a negative, unhelpful, uh, unhopeful point to make. But in terms of what it looks like, you know, to be faithful, that there's, you know, I think Christians should be an aspirational uh, group. You know, and there is a vision and there's a long history within Christian thought of uh, a vision of a faithful, non-compromising Christian in the public square who who will speak truth to power. And specifically, even at the lowest level, even at the first step of the ladder, you know, is willing to speak the truth, even if that means that's as far as it goes. And and I think, you know, that type of faithfulness um, that really costs people um, is is what we're called to, and and if we can you know get out of our heads this idea of making sure that we preserve the United States as a you know 
Christian nation in perpetuity. Um, maybe we would see more Christians engaging in, in that way. And, and, you know, whether or not that changes, changes culture, you know, I don't know. I sure think it'll be um, a less hypocritical, um, more faithful representation of what, what following Christ looks like. And that, you know, in my view, can't help but have, uh, you know, a positive effect on the, the quality and the genuineness of faith within our churches. Um, but that's, that's really, I think, the vision. And, and there's a vision to do that, like you said, when you're talking about parents, um, you know, with, with schools and their, and their own local communities, you know, there's a way to love our neighbor just by keeping our eyes and ears open in the communities where, where God has placed us that doesn't come with, and, and, you know, usually when it's, you know, national part of some national cause or movement, it's, it's already been hijacked by some of the, the unhelpful forces we've talked about, you know, but just being active and seeking to love our neighbor where we are, um, is a great way. Um, I mean, that's real politics. You know, that's that's real. How do we live together as a community? How do we order life? You know, how do we make decisions? Um, you know, that's that's where I think Christians can be involved. And and oftentimes we conflate you know politics and public square with national politics and you know whatever's being talked on uh, talked about on cable news. And you know that's a um, that's an unhelpful thing. And I think uh, the source of a lot of the the negative dynamics that we've discussed. Alex Harris, still doing hard things. And thanks for having the time to take a conversation with us. Thank you so much, Ed. You've been listening to Alex Harris. Be sure to check out Shiny Happy People on Amazon Prime Video. Thanks again for listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content for ministry leaders at churchleaders.com slash podcast. And again, if you found our conversation today helpful, we'd love for you to take a few moments, leave us a review that'll help other ministry leaders find and benefit from our content. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.